Welcome back to Swiftly Speaking, folks. This is episode 14. I am joined this time by Jordana Kwok, who is an engineering manager doing the iOS app at Netflix. As always, I've got stacks of great questions for her to ask, but if you are attending live, I encourage you to ask some questions in the chat, and I'll pick up the best I can and uh, ask Jordana and, and really grill her thoroughly on your Netflix iOS uh, questions. Um, as always, folks, if you are turning live, I've got zero tolerance for trolls and similar, so there are moderators present who'll ban you for life for any kind of uh, uh, problematic behaviour, but I, I trust you'll be excellent and all that kind of jazz. Um, I want to thank our sponsor this time. It's Revenue Cat. They make it really easy to add in-app purchases like subscriptions to your iOS application. I've used StoreKit. Some things are really easy. Some things are viciously hard. If you want to avoid the hard stuff, Talk to Revenue Cat. They've got a very generous free tier. Check them out at revenuecat.com. Jordana, how are you doing? I am doing great. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm in the last two weeks now of homeschooling my kids. And so I'm looking forward to seeing them go back to school again. That's going to be very, very nice to see. And that's, I think, March the 8th or so. So uh, I've aged a lot these last few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things here as well, you know, obviously in California, in the United States, um, certainly, uh, thankfully, the cases have gone down, but it's still very much like everything is, you know, um, locked down, slowly opening. Yeah. Homeschooling still. Yeah. Yeah. So I mentioned in the intro that you are uh, currently an engineering manager at Netflix, but yes. uh, and you're focusing, I think, on the iOS UI team specifically. So the bit we all see, right, and work with every yeah. day. Yeah. But you weren't always in that role, right? You you obviously weren't always a manager. You were a developer originally. Um, what made you think, you know, I, I want to go from being a developer mm -hmm. to a, a manager? And how did you handle that move? Yes, yeah, specifically for this role at Netflix, it, it took me a while. I had to think about it, um, you know, uh, really hard because I had done previous transitions from being a, an engineer to being a manager, and they're very different roles. Mm. So it's not like I, you know, would be coding at the same time as, you know, managing people in this particular case. So it was really a deliberate you know, decision to leave behind the coding. And that's a hard decision to make. I think a lot of people are like, well, I want to code and I want to, you know, maybe manage a few people. And some companies, they will have that opportunity. Um, you know, they, they might call them tech lead managers and uh, they're able to kind of do a bit of both. But um, in, you know, at Netflix and in the case of many other companies, they're very distinct roles. And it's almost like a career transition. It's like you're going from being... Um, you know, a designer to being an engineer, right? Uh, they're, they're very different responsibilities and skills that are needed. So yeah, had to think really hard about that to see, you know, am I ready to leave behind the coding? <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I went to my first uh, coding manager role, mm -hmm. I, I did not leave behind the coding and it did not go mm -hmm. well. Uh, yes. you know, because because you want to do it right. You've got this bug in you. I've got to mm -hmm. get coding. You're almost addicted to it. It's almost like a high, yeah. natural high, and you want to do it. And you've been doing it for a number of years, and you're very good at it. You're you're very good at your job, and then it's like, no, I've got to. Have, like, <laughs> I always think of um uh the old Star Trek movies because there's this uh, one of them where uh Captain Kirk, the big hero in the movies, is uh he's made an admiral, 
and uh-huh. he doesn't get his own starship anymore and he hates it uh-huh. he's basically got a desk job and he wants to become a starship yep. captain again to be driving around you know shooting up Klingons every dozen day. <laughs> um, but he hates it because he's missing that hands-on mm-hmm. role that's it, it's technically I guess in his mind more junior but he misses the yeah. getting your hands dirty and doing things and breaking things again and and yeah. you, left, you left that behind by sounds of it. So you, you don't do any coding now or, or selective? You cherry pick tasks for yourself? Uh, I do not do any coding. Um, I, I leave that up to the engineers. Uh, they, you know, certainly if I go in and code something, you know, I'm probably going to break something at this point. <laughs> and they're going to have to fix up my mess. You're a liability uh, so, is what you're saying. No, 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 no. Yeah. Just find it. I leave it alone. We'll take it from here. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, on the, on the side, like I, I will code, you know, outside of, um, you know, work or, you know, the, the, the things that I always end up coding are for productivity sake. It's like, hey, I should automate this thing for myself. <laughs> you know, like meetings and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I think, you, you know, for some people it is, they they make it, uh, you know, very deliberate choice that, hey, I'm going to mm-hmm. leave this behind to focus on the skills. Because I'll, I'll, I'll let you know that, hey, in the past when I've done this transition and haven't been do the transition completely, you, you can do coding, but you're not going to be great at it. You're going to do management, but you're not going to be great at it because you're split 50-50. Right. You can't really you know, focus um, on being great at, you know, one or the other. And was Netflix supportive of that? Were they giving you training or management courses to help build up your management skills? Um, so at Netflix, there there isn't specific training. Um, like there isn't like, hey, here's, here's, you know, series of course on how to get into management. But, um, you know, you would work with your manager to kind of uh, build up those skills, especially if you're like, hey, I want to have a really honest conversation about my career growth and, you know, what I want to do two, three years from now, whatever it may be. So that's how I speak with team members. And some team members will be like, hey, I want to explore management, right, at some point. Um, And it would be up to us then to figure out, okay, what are the skills needed and maybe give exposure and opportunities. So, for example, one, one of the biggest things as a manager is hiring. Right. But as an engineer, you the the most exposure you get is maybe you're you're on the interview panel. Um, but then beyond that, how do you give you know people exposure to um, what is it like to you know source people, find find people, reach out, um, yeah. and it is kind of making you know those opportunities available for team members to really kind of work on those skills while not exactly you know having that job. Um, and so when, when it comes time for someone to actually transition uh, into management and there's an opportunity, it's a lot easier because they've actually right. done work versus, hey, I, I've read about it or something because reading about it can only get you so far. Absolutely. So you get to let's sort of dip a toe in and then back to coding again, then another toe back in again. They're getting gentle experience building up slowly as opposed to, and now you're a manager. Yeah, yeah. We've got a great question here from Chris Hornberg who asks, uh, how long did it take you to feel okay leaving the coding behind? Uh, He is a CEO, a CIO, sorry, at a small startup, but still does all the API and iOS coding. I doesn't want to stop that part of the job. (laughs) Um, I think it took me, I had to go on a um, vacation (laughs) just to even get my mind away from it. So, I mean, it took me probably overall a few months to really come to the conclusion that, hey, I, I feel okay with kind of completely, you know, leaving it behind. So it wasn't like, hey, an overnight decision. I had to sit on it, had to go on a vacation <laughs> to, to really let it simmer. So 
Um, I don't blame anyone who, who is just taking their time to really figure this out. Like, please do take your time to do it just because, um, you know, it, it is a, you know, career move. And, you know, at the end of the day, though, it doesn't mean that you can't go back. Um, you know, at, if, if you find that, hey, this really isn't for me, mm. then, you know, it's yet another choice you have to make to, you know, go back into, um, you know, hands-on coding and engineering. Yeah. And I think you've been at Netflix now for over seven years, which is for, mm. for a normal company <laughs> about right, but for a Bay Area company, that's that's a long time. You know? yeah. So uh, yeah. I, I, I'm guessing roughly that the company must have sort of quadrupled its user base in its time. I think it's now past 200 million users. And mm -hmm. so errors that affect sort of one in 10,000 people that's pretty rare for most of us, but that's actually a fairly serious bug yeah. from your perspective because that's hit a lot yeah. of people. So how has your team, your iOS app building you know, infrastructure, the people working there, the tools you have, how have they yeah. changed or evolved over time to respond to that kind of massive scale? Yeah, we've kind of grown massively on that front as well um, throughout my time. Uh, you know, you might have metrics like, hey, how many requests per second that you're getting on this particular, um, you know, uh, endpoint that we're fetching data from, you know, that that's most basic or how many, you know, how many people are playing back, things like that, right? That we, we've augmented a lot of those metrics to be able to capture uh, more errors and, um, you know, uh, things that scale like crashes, right? <laughs> those are the most sensitive <laughs> metrics we get. Um, so we will, you know, kind of monitor those metrics as we roll out now. And we do have a, you know, mobile productivity team now that is helping support us. Before, there really wasn't a separate team even to help us out on that front. We would have to do this all on our own um, as engineers on, on you know, build, you're building client, you know, uh, but you're also potentially building out some tools. But now there's a separate team that builds out tools, dashboards, and and whatnot for us to help monitor the health of the application. And it's very sensitive, like you said, you know, um, we will actually use Apple's slow rollout, um, you know, uh, capabilities, you know, how it does 1% on one day, 2% on the next day. And even with the 1%, we can, you know, sense that something is wrong and, um, you know, may need to, you know, uh, you know, pull back a feature or, you know, worst case scenario, make a point release. We call them point releases whenever we have to patch something. And that's not great because you're like, hey, we need to go through the review process again and mm. um, you know, potentially expedite if it's pretty bad. I'm almost imagining like a gigantic TV screen, it'd be Netflix and all with, you know, very large numbers of graphs and numbers and stuff happening right now. There's a real almost like a live dashboard of what's going on. In the office, there are. There are multiple TVs that actually have these dashboards. Uh, I'm, I'm sure people uh, probably have multiple monitors at home now probably to monitor it. Right. That makes sense. And yeah, so the, the scale thing is fascinating because you are working at such a large numbers that mm -hmm. if even with a phased rollout, as you said, you can get yeah. bugs appearing immediately because if, if it happens, yeah. hopefully it doesn't happen often, but if a little sort of clangor sneaks through, um, suddenly yeah. it's, you'll get feedback very quickly and hopefully be able to respond quickly. I mean... I'm, yeah. I'm, gu I'm guessing, oh, I'm not sure how much you can say, but I'm, I'm guessing you can get an app review from Apple fairly quickly because you're Netflix, but. Yeah, we've, we've, uh, it totally depends on who's available, I think, on, on their end. Um, you know, during holiday season, I'm sure the times are a little bit slower 
versus, you know, maybe during regular business hours. So, um, you know, we've kind of, we, we do have, um, you know, a system where, hey, people are on call um, mm. and we rotate around, you know, the team. And so we will have coverage in case anything happens. But thankfully, it's very low incident rate. So we're, we're, we're pretty good with, uh, you know, um, keeping things, you know, fairly stable. Yeah. There's a great question here, actually, from Alexander Sienko, who mm -hmm. asks, uh, do you have any internal iOS apps? Because if you have all these screens doing stuff and you have metrics coming in all the time, is your team thinking, actually, we could, we could build a macOS or tvOS or iOS app, whatever it is, to, to actually make that nicer? Um, not iOS specifically. A lot of these tools, uh, you know, are written, you know, with JavaScript. It's, it's more web-based. Uh, you know, just if you think about scaling, right? Um, you know, we're also supporting Android. We're also supporting uh, laptops and TVs. So a lot of these things with dashboards and whatnot, like we want want like one tool that would be able to scale to all these different platforms. So, mm. you know, that's one reason why we haven't like just built an iOS or Mac app to to kind of capture that. Yeah, that makes sense. I hope, hopefully, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's. That with with so many things going on at the same time, so many sort of cogs moving independently, yeah. it's going to be hard, right? You know. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. Now, so we mentioned you've got folks on call, and and it is fairly rare when you have to issue quick updates. You know, if yes. a problem sneaks through, but at some point, mistakes are going to happen, and they're mm -hmm. kind of par for the course. I mean, what is yep. your approach as a manager of iOS devs at Netflix for handling? mistakes and or failure at your team? Yeah, so mistakes, uh, certainly, you know, something that is expected, like we, no one's perfect, we, you know, we're all human, you know, things are going to slip through. Um, you know, we did have a recent, uh, you know, point release that we had to make because there was a case that uh, even though there were people on the pull request, uh, we didn't catch it. So, you know, not we're not going to find everything. Um, and if it does happen, then, you know, that's okay. Let's look at, you know, how we can prevent it in the future. It's really learning from the mistakes. That's the important thing. So right. we will do, you know, retrospectives um, and kind of dig into, hey, how did this happen? You know, more of a, like a curiosity exercise and, you know, figuring out in the future, maybe there is something else that we could put, uh, you know, in our, I don't know, testing framework, I'm just making it up, but some, something that could help catch this along the way so that, um, you know, even if, you know, there's five people on the pull request, <laughs> at least there's a system to catch it. So I, I think we're always trying to build up, you know, this database of how, how do we, how do we get better and how do we, um, you know, rolling out these uh, app releases and also, you know, preventing the same mistakes from happening again. And I think that's the thing, like you want to, make sure you're not just repeating them over and over again because that just kind of yeah, yeah. that that's when it becomes a problem when the mm. mistake is like something that is recurring and we're we're not addressing it yeah mistakes happen but if you if you then learn from yeah. them and do better as long as it wasn't a, a very yeah. very extraordinarily serious mistake that kind of snuck through as long as you know bugs happen mistakes happen you, you, you can move on from that but you've also got to deal with right now the fact that as a manager, your team are nowhere near each other, presumably a lot of the time because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you've also now actively recruiting remote developers, if I'm if I'm correct. Um, remote is the plan anyway. Remote, you know, going forward yes. is, is the plan. 
that's hard by itself because you want to try and keep folks motivated. You want to think about how you yeah. can keep them engaged and working towards bigger goals and keep good communication lines. And how, how do you tackle that? Yeah. Yeah, uh, certainly this has accelerated, you know, how how we're working in terms of um, being remote. Uh, the plan, if you know, for our team is really we once, you know, things are safe and we can open, you know, offices up again, we will allow people to decide and choose whether they want to, you know, kind of co-locate because some people love of the office right it's like i i personally miss it too like just having people around um you know the human interaction uh but some people are like yeah i i feel like i'm more productive remote um mm. and in terms of our plans for remote um you know i i definitely want to clarify it's currently we are looking for remote in the u.s but you know as more details come you know whether it's remote internationally and whatnot, I'll, I'll, I'll give updates there. But I, I know I've gotten some comments online <laughs> on Twitter about, oh, yeah, we should clarify this. So um, just wanted to clarify it here. Certainly, we're, we're starting with the U.S. just because, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm sure there are legal reasons why, you know, we are able to uh, move more quickly, you know, in the U.S. But, yeah, keeping, keeping engineers motivated, we have a team of uh, – 15 right now but the the you know ios um you know there's actually two two main ios teams there's actually a playback streaming team <clears throat> excuse me and they they also have around like 15 people so you know it's a fairly sizable team it's not hundreds of ios engineers but it's also not like just you know five engineers either mm. so we are encountering interesting challenges where um, you know, there might be, let's say, for example, three engineers working on, you know, uh, a specific part of the UI, but they might not know about that at the same time. And it, and it might cause some, you know, um, overlapping changes or conflicts. So we're, we're finding to better communicate that. So we need to kind of, it's not just, hey, we, we do a standup, you know few times a week. It's more than that, right? And and I think there's more um, visibility that we need to give that scales because just going one-on-one -on -one with <clears throat> each person on the team is not going to be scalable. Like what happens if the team is 50 people? Like, <laughs> you're not going to talk one-on-one -on -one with 50 people. Um, and even in the stand-up when you're saying, hey, I'm working in this space, uh, 49 other people, are they paying attention? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So I'm just thinking because I said it's remote, but in the US, so anywhere in between the United States, uh, yeah. states. Um, but is there an advantage to being Canadian? Because I'm thinking you and Adam. <laughs> <laughs> We're figuring that out. We're trying to figure out. You know, I, I think you know with uh, you know employment law and whatnot. I, I'm, I'm not familiar enough with it, so I can't speak to it. But there's there's probably something there that you know the company needs to figure out and. Um, yeah, we, we certainly would love to see it expand to Canada and beyond. So, yes. Nice. So speaking about uh, recruiting and hiring in general, you know, you, you must get a pretty darn steady flow of resumes coming to your desk saying, you know, hire me, hire me, mm -hmm. hire me. Uh, what, what makes someone stand out to you? What makes you say, yeah, this person here, we should get them in for an interview. They look really good. Uh, definitely, I, I think when I look at resumes, um, I don't typically look at like the company names, I'll be honest with you. I think each manager is different. But like for me, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, a unique set of experiences. 
-hmm. you know, maybe someone has written, you know, um, you know, a, an app on their own even, right? And it has gotten a lot of traction, even though it's not a, maybe a full-time gig. Uh, those types of things really stand out uh, because it's like, oh, this is, this is not, you know, something that is, you know, uh, typical maybe of many iOS developers who are just like coming from a big, you know, corporate company and they might bring something, you know, especially a perspective that the team might not have. Not just skills. Like I, I think what we want to look for is more than technical chops, right? We want to look to see, you know, are you bringing something, um, you know, uh, like a, a different type of background or whatnot that can really help with the product? Because if you think about the team itself, it's we're not just engineers. We're also product engineers. We're, we 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 want to have people who have lots of great ideas in terms of what features, how the UI should look. Um, you know, what are what are some things that, um, you know, in the future might be interesting, you know, to incorporate in the app. So it, it's a lot of product thinking as well. So if someone has a design background, for example, that's that's pretty interesting, right? Hmm. It doesn't need to be just, you know, iOS. Yeah. In fact, there's a question here from um, S, S. Google, and it, you've, you've answered a bit to it already, I think. It was, uh, what specific sets of uh, skills does an engineer need to have to, to get hired? And you said, actually, mm -hmm. it's not just, you know, more and more and more coding. It's actually other yeah. kinds of things work great too. Like design's a pretty amazing yeah. one. But are you thinking, well, actually, you know, we, we you know, AV kit, for example, I'm thinking, you know, Netflix kind of things, <laughs> you might like to see AV Foundation, AV kit or similar, or actually it's more about sparks of interest in a variety of areas. Yeah, we do have, you know, a baseline that we do uh, require. Um, you know, UI kit is what we use. For all of our UI. So I think that foundational knowledge of UI kit would be required, but we wouldn't say, hey, you need AV foundation. That that is uh, you know, pretty niche. <laughs> and and the thing is it's it's an opportunity for anyone who is interested in AV foundation. And by the way, if you are, let me know. <laughs> we, we would love people <laughs> who who are interested in getting into playback because as the playback and the UI world kind of meld together, there are some interesting challenges that come up. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, folks, if you're one of those uh, hotshot Swift UI developers, I'm sorry. Um, Jordana's saying, no, it's the UI <laughs> kit they're looking for. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, Swift UI is something that we are exploring. So I have to say that at some point, um, you know, we would love to see things move towards Swift UI. But I don't think it's, you know, having dab like a team dabble around with it, it's it works for some situations, but not everything. So. Hmm. Just FYI, <laughs> we, we do a lot of A-B testing as well. So um, that includes A-B testing technologies like SwiftUI. Right. You didn't mention the big one, uh, which is folks always wonder, do I need to have a CS degree? What's your take on that? Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely not. Like I, I feel like uh, the team, certainly there are people who have traditional CS degrees, uh, and but the team itself, when I look at the different paths people have taken, Many are have been non-traditional. You know, mm. we have folks with music degrees, you know, arts degrees, design, you know, um, training, um, you know. So, so certainly not a requirement. Uh, what we're you know requiring is really, hey, the, the iOS experience, um, and you know, especially, you know, with. Uh, you know, whether UI or, you know, something around the UI space, the front end space. Right. And how do you mm -hmm. ensure you get 
a, a wide and diverse range of applicants even coming forward for the job? Yeah, this this is particularly the most difficult uh, thing. I think if you ask you know anyone recruiting in tech, it is trying to make sure that um, you know our pipeline is you know has representation, right? Like has to you know um, especially gender, ethnicity, um, and so on. And so one thing that you know we have is an applicant pipeline that by itself is not sufficient. Like if I look at the the balance there, if it if it's in terms of gender, it's completely skewed, right? And and, and I think all tech not anyone hiring will probably say the same thing. And so you need to, as a hiring manager, really supplement that and work with your recruiting partners to be like, hey, I'm going to you know uh, source, reach out, do events, whatever it might be to really kind of diversify that pipeline. So it's not just applicants, it's more, you know, networking or, um, you know, like I said, events, right? You might run, uh, you know, a woman tech event, for example, and try to make new connections there and get people interested um, in the opportunities that are on the team. So it, it's, it's not easy for sure, but it is something that, you know, uh, we try to do just to make sure that it's, we're not just looking at applicants. Well, presumably it helps that they have a female manager. I mean, they'll be working for you, presumably. Uh, and so they know, yeah. well, she's happy there. She's been there seven plus years. That's a great sign all by itself. And I, I know at least mm -hmm. one other woman on your team. So um, that must help, you know, immediate representation, yeah. folks they can trust and, and get going with, presumably. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like that, <clears throat> having the representation on team certainly helps. Um, one other thing that we do is really try to make the interview process really inclusive. So we we put a lot of effort to kind of standardize and make sure that bias doesn't creep in. That's the other thing, right? Like once, if you have a really skewed interview process, um, doesn't matter what the top of funnel looks like, you're gonna, you're gonna filter out a lot of, um, <clears throat> you know, diverse uh, candidates potentially if, if it is biased. So there's a lot that goes into it that, um, you know, at least at Netflix that we, we spend time on and making sure that, you know, it, it is, uh, you know, kind of as inclusive as possible. Yeah. Well, speaking of the actual interview, once folks have made it, you know, to the point of actually coming either in or perhaps by a Zoom call these days, thanks to the pandemic, there's a question here from uh, Harsh Daughter saying, uh, what do you look for during an interview you know, technical and other aspects in a particular candidate. And I think, you know, more broadly, what is the Netflix interview process? What does it look like? Yeah. Yeah, I have to say that there's some similarities to maybe some other, you know, bigger tech companies. There's also many, many differences. Um, <clears throat> in terms of, you know, what we look for, we are certainly looking for, um, you know, in, in the technical space, like, hey, the baseline skills. Um, mm. And that's what we ask. We don't ask leak code questions. So my, my team <laughs> shies away from, you know, the brain teasers, the, you know, uh, complexity analysis, mainly because we don't find that we use that on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, maybe once in a while, but the majority of the time you're using your iOS fundamentals, right? Um, you know, how to use a collection view, um, you know, how, how, you know, how does concurrency work, right? You, you need to download, I don't know, 10 images and, you know, how do you make sure that they're cached properly? These types of things where, um, like, live, real problems that engineers right. will, will encounter, 
day to day um, at Netflix. So those are the types of questions that we um, will ask in most of the technical panels. So we there there's a there's a, a little bit of a process that we do go through. So first, it, it is a conversation with you know um, my recruiting partner or myself um, just to see, hey, is is this the right you know role for you and also for you to assess us? Is is it the right role for you know? yourself because say for example you're looking for i don't know building out sdks and libraries and frameworks like you're very much infrastructure type of engineer mm. um but on my team if i'm looking for a very product ui centric engineer there might not be a match there right even right. though you have the technical ios chops but it might not be the the thing that you're looking for and might not be the thing that we're looking for and then we can bet out then okay maybe this isn't the right fit right now until we find the right role so that would be the first step. And um, the second step would be, uh, you know, a technical screen. So it would be, um, you know, with an engineer on the team. And we would ask, like, you said, like I said uh, previously, the iOS fundamentals. So, um, you know, it's like GCD, you know, uh, you know, memory management, stuff like that. And um, assuming that, you know, all of those thing you know questions are answered and go well and that's kind of like the baseline and we want to keep it fairly you know um standardized because it gives us a good idea of like where people are at and kind of eliminates uh, the bias then we would move on to we call it now the virtual on-site because <laughs> we can't actually bring yeah. you into um the office the offices are you know not open for for interviews um so the, during the virtual onsite, we kind of break it down into different days. Now we used to have like you know uh, a full day, although you could still opt for the you know full day if you really wanted to. Um, we give people the choice, you know, make it super flexible. But there are kind of two more technical um, kind of uh, panels, and you would be meeting with other engineers on the team to to walk through them one of them is around problem solving again not not brain teasers not not leak code but more hey a day-to-day -day problem that we might you know give a scenario for example or maybe a systems type of question systems design type of question and um you know there it, it really isn't whiteboarding unless you want to draw something and you know show it right. but it is talking through how you would solve those problems and um, you know the second panel, and this is this is the one I think a lot of people have questions about. Like, do you do live coding? Like, you know, look over the shoulder, you know, type of type of um, coding exercise. So we debated between doing something like that versus a take home, and we ended up landing on the take home. Um, and you know, some people you know might like the live coding challenge, but we we do find that there's a lot more pressure you know, that are yeah. put on engineers, mm. uh, especially like, am I getting the syntax right and whatnot? So I think the take home is more representative of what you're going to actually experience in the workplace, because you're going to get an open-ended question, like build an app that does something, right? And then you go, you go do it. It's very ambiguous for sure, but how would you navigate that? At work, it's the same thing, right? You're given, um, you know, a problem, uh, or you know, you're working with a product manager, and they're like, "Hey, I have this idea. Uh, how would you build it out?" Right? And it's it's not like you know, you get a you know pixel perfect spec every single time you, you need to build something. A lot of times, it's open to you know interpretation and yeah. how how would you manage that? Right? And how do you spend yeah. the time? 
right? How would you spend your time? Because you don't want to spend like, you know, a whole week on this, you know, take home <laughs> exercise. <laughs> right? It's really challenging, and, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so it is like how, you know, what trade-offs are you trying to make? Because engineering is about trade-offs. And in, in the real workplace, uh, if you think about it, same thing, right? You, you could say, hey, there's this feature that, you know, I'm, I'm working on. It's going to take me six months, right? And it's like, okay, but could it take three months? Like, what are, what are the things that you're thinking about as an engineer um, in terms of scope and what is possible in the, you know, time that you have? I love how many times you've said the word real. This all sounds very real, which is great. It's not artificial coding tests or yeah. you know, complexity algorithms or who knows what it is. It's yeah. actual real world iOS tasks again and again and again. See how mm -hmm. they're gonna solve the kind of thing they might solve on the actual team in yes. you know three months time and that's presumably much more valuable to you because you can get a better idea yeah this person yeah. would fit into our coding style or has the right kind of ideas or is thinking about design yeah. as well as performance whatever so that sounds perfect for you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah i you know honestly i don't know what you know the interview process for different companies are like uh, these days but it, it certainly um is you know much more applicable to the job itself what we try to strive for and we also try to strive for making it um you know fun for people because most people coming in i i you know would hope that the take-home exercise is something that you know maybe they've learned something through the process or you know they found that hey this was um you know a great you know way for them to exercise maybe their creativity and even if things don't work out um, you know, we try our best to give some amount of feedback, which is not what most companies will do. We'll, we'll try to at least say, hey, maybe there's this thing, maybe your UI kit skills in this area weren't, you know, uh, what we would expect. But at least this gives you the opportunity um, as a candidate to go back and work on them and come back again, right? Like come back and interview again um, down the road. And we have hired people uh, on their second, third interviews. So I, I just want to say that it's, you know, it's not like, just because you didn't make it uh, through the interview process doesn't mean that you're not going to get a role in the future. Right. But let's say things, you know, are a bit shaky, uh, interviewing someone, mm -hmm. it isn't going terribly well. What are the kinds of common mistakes or speed mm -hmm. bumps folks hit while they're interviewing? You know, what are the mistakes they make as an interviewee? Yeah, um, I do find that we we recognize nerves, so we will we will see you know uh, people who get nervous, and we'll try to make sure that hey we're we're giving them space to mm. um, kind of warm up first, so we won't jump directly into you know technical <laughs> questions. We're all we'll always make sure that hey let's let's talk a bit about your background and so on right. just to get comfortable first. Yeah. Um, but but the biggest uh, mistakes that I see are you know candidates who come in without any questions or kind of curiosity around the role itself or how how you know the team operates um, usually at the end it's like hey do you have any questions for us and then when candidates go no <laughs> that's usually <laughs> not a great sign no, no. um yeah the other thing is you know kind of coming in and not really um you know doing research ahead of time around you know uh, the Netflix culture itself, right? There's a lot of material out there. Um, we'll send it out ahead of time even as well. Like, hey, take a look at the, you know, the culture memo. There are some values in there. What resonates with you? And if uh, candidates are like, uh, you know, I haven't actually, you know, 
looked at it and they've been, you know, we're already further down the interview process. Um, It's, it's a sign of, you know, are you really interested in us? (laughs) You know, because you're also assessing the company to see if it's a good fit for you. So we want to make sure that um, that is happening. You mentioned culture and uh, Vanita has a question here for you. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you judge someone in an interview if they are a cultural fit for your team or company? Have you ever come across someone who you thought was overqualified? Like they've watched too much Netflix, they've seen all the Orange and <laughs> New Black, they've watched, you know, Big Mouth, whatever, galore. <laughs> yeah. I, I think culture fit is always hard to define. I don't like, um, you know, how people assess for culture fit. So we don't assess for culture fit. Uh, you know, that's, that's something way too ambiguous. It's like, mm. you know, some people are like, oh, can I go out and have a beer with them? And if no, they're not a culture fit. I'm like, well, that's com- that's really biased, right? What about people who don't drink, for example, or you know, might have a different personality than you? So th- this is this is you know, kind of an interesting thing that um, I find a lot of people are worried about. You know, hey, am I going to be like? Do I have to change myself to fit in? And the thing is, you know, we're we're more interested in seeing um, you know how we can be more inclusive you know and you know what what do what does the team need to do to kind of make sure that you feel like or we feel like you could you know belong on the team so it's it you know when we look at that we look at seeing you know the cultural values at netflix so it's a little bit more uh, i guess um objective in in some ways where hey there are these values do they resonate with you if majority of it you know kind of really doesn't resonate with you, maybe maybe on both ends, it's not a great fit, right? Um, but if there's, you know, a lot of them that kind of seem to stand out and that, you know, you're, you're really kind of, um, you know, strongly, a strong believer in. So for example, communication, right? That's one of, you know, great values, you know, we, we want a great communication. Um, and if, if you're the type of person who, who sees that as, okay, this is something, you know, uh, not just a skill, but also a value that you, um, you know, really resonate with, then yeah, there could be a great fit there. I certainly think there's an important distinction to be made between this company has a strong culture that folks, you know, bond with. They all want to point in the yeah. same direction or the same goals. Yeah. And this cultural fit thing, which in interview can easily turn into you know, misogyny or subtle racism or who yeah. knows what, because I, they, I just don't like the look of them or something, you know. That's a, yeah. you know, well, they're, they're qualified and they're experienced and da 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 Don't like the look of them. And that just kind of masquerades other deeper problems there, I think, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I think not not defining what culture means, that's what you're going to end up with. Mm. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, interesting values there and, you know, it doesn't need that every every single thing has to resonate with you. But like, you know, I think largely, if if it does, then yeah, you know, I I think there could be you know a good fit. And I've got to know is is watching large amounts of Netflix a requirement? Because I watch a lot of Netflix. I'm like the perfect <laughs> candidate. <laughs> no, not not a requirement. Uh, certainly not a requirement. Um, you know, I I think being aware of you know you know, that, hey, there's, there's, uh, you know, Netflix and these, these original, uh, you know, uh, shows and, and movies and films, and whatnot, kind of understanding the business is certainly, you know, something that um, 
we hope people will do some research on, but mm. wa- needing you to watch all of it, <laughs> not a requirement. <laughs> so I hope this doesn't happen often, but folks go through the interview process, you think, yeah, they're, they're a great fit for this team. They're technically exactly the right people are looking for. Yeah. They come on yeah. board, but things still don't quite work out for some reason. Because interviews aren't perfect, right? We're doing our best to try and assess someone's skills, but yes. they aren't perfect. When that happens, what, what's your process if it doesn't quite work out? It, team, the mm-hmm. team member just doesn't really fit in too well or doesn't work so well. Yeah, I, I think it depends on, you know, what didn't work well. And um, it could it could go both ways, right? Like it could be the candidate or the new team member uh, decides that this isn't for me. Hmm. And, and, you know, uh, that's fine. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk through how to... Um, either is it, is it the right team or is it the right role? And if it turns out that, Hey, Netflix just isn't the place, then yeah, we will have a mutual agreement that this is, you know, uh, a departure, you know, no, no, no harm done. You know, everyone would still be, you know, um, happy that they've had, had that experience. But then on the other hand, there is, um, you know, a, you know, not a great fit in terms of maybe, you know, in terms of performance, right? I, I think that's the thing that I think most people worry about. It's like, hey, you know, if I join, um, am I going to perform? If I'm not going to perform, am I going to get fired? And <laughs> there's a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, misconceptions out there about, um, you know, firing and, you know, at, at Netflix in particular. And, you know, it's not going to be a surprise. It's not going to be like one day, you know, it doesn't work out and you're suddenly like, oh, Clear that doesn't happen. Off we go. <laughs> Uh, unless you did something really, really, really kind of, you know, um, just egregious. And yeah, that's when we would have like, you know, um, zero, zero tolerance. Like, for example, you do something illegal. <laughs> that that certainly is not one of those things that, um, you know, you, you would get a second chance, <laughs> uh, you know, for. But for, you know, say, say it's a performance related reason. Um, say, again, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to communication because that's such a big thing. Say um, maybe uh, this person's communication skills aren't up to snuff. Uh, you know, may- maybe it needs some some work, and maybe um, because of their non-communication, uh, it caused a lot of uh, turn. So you might have other team members, or maybe um, you know, cross-functional teams, kind of saying, "Hey, what happened to this project? We didn't hear anything from this person," and so it would be very direct feedback. You know, it's all about feedback, um, you know, to team members that, hey, you know, we're, we're hearing from, you know, other, other, you know, partnering teams that, you know, you haven't been communicating. What's up with that? Can we work to fix this? Right. And then we will work together to kind of address the issue. Mm. Um, and if it can't be addressed, like say it happens again, right? It's, this is where it comes back to like, hey, it becomes a pattern. It's recurring. Um, then we need to dig deeper to see, okay, is this, you know, is it because of a specific thing going on in their life? Like we, we won't, you know, just kind of make assumptions that it is a skills deficit. It could be something else that's going on. Right. Mm. Want to make sure that, Hey, this person isn't, you know, especially during this pandemic, there's so much going on. We don't want to, you know, kind of, you know, penalize someone if, if say performance does suffer and it is, they are kind of going through a rough time, but if it is something that is, that can't be fixed, right? Um, the ideal scenario is it is that, you know, there's a recognition there and that, um, you know, again, 
mutual agreement, mutual departure. However, that doesn't happen in all cases. There are people who will be surprised, mainly because they might not accept the feedback to begin with. So maybe they're like, no, my communication's fine. <laughs> right? It's not a problem. Even though there might be like, you know, uh, a lot of other people complaining about it, um, you know, other people getting negatively impacted by their behavior. Um, but if, if, if we're giving the feedback and they're not receiving it and not internalizing it and not fixing the issue and we have to let them go, of course, I think there will be some amount of surprise there. Um, so I, I will have to say that, yeah, they're, you know, that, that would be the worst case scenario, um, you know, for something not working out. And am I correct in thinking that uh, Netflix has or had a sort of golden parachute policy? Like we'll literally pay you to leave the company. I think it's three to four months of salary. Uh, there is, there is severance. Yes. Okay. That's our severance. Yeah. <laughs> golden parachute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we tried, it didn't quite work out, but we want you to go on, you know, on happy terms, go to find another job. Because I, mean, I, I live in the, in, the, in the English countryside, four months of salary would buy a house around here. <laughs> you know, so. It's a generous severance package. Uh, we want people to land on their feet, right? And, mm. um, you know, it, certainly we want to help people kind of get uh, their next, next gig. They, you know, say, say the communication didn't work out. Um, Maybe there's another place where their communication styles works way better. And, you know, you know, we just hope that we can help them, you know, kind of get back on their feet and, you know, find that, you know, environment or company that works out for them. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the actual product itself. Um, yeah. We've all been using it for, for a long time. And I, I, I'm fairly yeah. certain in the early days it was more or less a UI web view, right? And that's clearly yes. uh, moved away over the years to a more native UI kit solution. But what happened there? What made you move away from the UI web view to UI kit in full? Yeah, it's interesting. Because when I first joined, I was a, a JavaScript engineer <laughs> on the, on, on the um, they called it the mobile and tablet UI team at the time. And there was only iOS. There wasn't, you know, um, an Android product that had been fleshed out quite yet. And the reason why we were using um, a UI web view was because it allowed us to deploy remotely uh, pretty quickly. Um, and we were doing a lot of A-B testing at the time and we didn't want to go through the app store process for every single you know, A-B test that we launched. It was slow back then, so, right? in the early days. It was oh, oh, yeah. week, 10 days, two weeks sometimes, so yeah. yeah. So that's why we use the web view for all the UI pieces. I think the only native piece was really the uh, the player itself. So the you know once you once you kind of tapped on play, we would go across the the bridge, um, you know the the WebKit bridge back into native code and launch the native UI uh, player. But everything else, like you know when you're scrolling through the browse experience, search, and so on, that was all you know written in JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and um, the thing that really kind of tipped us over was when, you know, started to think about the future and, you know, the product itself. Like, what did we want to do? Are we okay with this type of experience or did we want to experiment more with, say, video? I think video was the big thing. How do you integrate then video into the browse experience, like, you know, on the, you know, on your homepage? Mm. And with HTML5 video at the time, that was not a it was not doable. Um so at, at that point, we're like, okay, the future doesn't look too bright for, for this uh, WebKit <laughs> environment. <laughs> and we had to make a hard decision. It wasn't an easy decision to make because you have a bunch of JavaScript engineers 
Mm. And then you're like saying, okay, we, we, sh- we need to rewrite this from scratch. Um, you know, th- do people want to, you know, hop on and do iOS development when wanted to do it? Well, some people wanted to stay JavaScript developers. Uh, I, I was one of the engineers that, um, you know, decided, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn iOS. So that's when I learned iOS <laughs> and, and picked up on um, Objective-C. At the time, yeah, Swift wasn't quite out yet. Maybe Swift 1 was out, but, um, you know, we, we weren't quite ready to kind of hop on the Swift ban- bandwagon yet. Um, if it was a little bit more ready, that would have been great because JavaScript and Swift, the, the syntactically, uh, you know, much more similar. So transitioning to Objective-C, it was kind of like, ugh, <laughs> the syntax was just kind of off-putting at first. Um, but yeah, we, we, we wrote the, the app from scratch, I think in, I don't remember how many months, but it was like a really, it's, it was, you know, a, a quick turnaround. We, we actually um, kind of reformed the team into a much smaller team at the time. I think it was like six, seven engineers maybe. Um, you know, and 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 then uh, rewrote it just, you know, vanilla UI kit, Objective C, and um, yeah, we we did evaluate other solutions uh, along the way before coming to that you know conclusion to do UI kit. Uh, we did look at React Native, <laughs> and that was very early on. Um, in React Native at the time, uh, we did investigate the technology, like we, because it's open source, you could you could dig into it. We found that it wasn't it wasn't really um, kind of conducive to the user experience that we were trying to achieve. Right. Like we wanted something that was, you know, very responsive, um, you know, and also, you know, that we're able to uh, integrate with video again, right? Uh, pretty pretty easily. So when we I looked at uh, React Native. I think that it had slightly different goals. Um, they wanted to be more kind of a, a cross-platform type of framework, where, right. whereas we were trying to optimize for the best experience for iOS users. Right. So, so I, I think slightly different goals there. So that's why we ended up, um, yeah, with UIKit. Well, it's interesting because I I do use Netflix everywhere. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I'm. I tend to watch the same shows again and again and again. I've got a real problem. I've watched Archer so many times now. So I've got a real issue there. And right now I'm watching I'm watching Big Mouth again. That's a very, very silly funny yeah, yeah. show. Um, but I use it everywhere. So I'll use it on my iPhone, I'll use it on my iPad, I use it on TVOS. I'll use it absolutely everywhere. And yeah, it sounds yeah. like you're actually optimizing for the best experience on each platform. Does that mean you're thinking, well, we kind of want to share lots of code to reduce costs, but also is that secondary to getting a great platform experience? Yeah, uh, it is. So like, you know, a lot of people ask me, um, you know, do, do you also own Apple, you know, TV or TVOS, right? right? The TVOS app. And the answer is no, because we have, um, you know, very, very different interaction styles on a TV because you have LRED on the TV and you have to design the interface completely differently. And, you know, uh, the the paradigms are different, even though the technology underlying technology is very similar. I think because of the user experience that uh, TV has versus mobile is so drastic, it, it makes more sense for you know a separate team to kind of like you know take over that. However, there are pieces that are quite shareable. I have to admit, uh, like the playback pieces, right? Um, right? So for some time there was you know uh, a lot of sharing in that space because it's just AB foundation and, you know, we could build, you know, an abstraction over that, but the UI itself, because of the differences, um, 
you know, they live in different code bases. But does that include iPad as well? Is there, you try and share code in iOS and iPad OS, or are you thinking actually it's, it's a very different experience, you know? Yeah, we do share uh, iPad and, you know, the iPhone, uh, you know, experience. The, the code base is the same code base. Um, but as you can imagine, there's going to be like the variants and, you know, we, we don't want to kind of deviate too much, but, um, you know, once you start deviating, then it becomes quite, quite challenging as you can imagine to manage. Cause it's almost like two code bases in one then. Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. So yeah, that, that's always a constant thing that comes up. It's like, how closely do do you want to, you know, make this work? And, you know, I think when you look at some of the kind of the new Apple design guidelines, I think they, you know, it, it does make it so that it's easier to kind of integrate the experiences um, versus, hey, building something completely, completely different just for the iPad. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to ask you when uh, Netflix and Mac OS is coming along. That'd be, that'd be rude. So it's a spring back <laughs> on you. But I've got a really random, completely, re remarkably specific question here. I'm just curious about okay. it. I reckon it's got a complicated answer to it. Um, Natanel asks, what took so long for Netflix to add corner radius to thumbnails in the application? <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a fun one. Um, I don't know what I, I'm trying to remember. Like you know, uh, when we last looked at it, I think we might have looked at it in the web view space. Like back in the web view days, a rounded corner was so expensive, as you can imagine. Like all all the compositing that had to go on, mm. and it, it it would it would cause a lot of hitching. And so we hadn't revisited it until um, more recently. Uh, one one reason could you know, that I can think of is really, you know, there were just more interesting things to <laughs> test. And, you know, there are bigger, bigger opportunities than a, than a rounded corner. Mm. Um, but I, I think increasingly we are looking at, um, you know, kind of adding these, these things that give it polish. And, um, you know, thanks to our team members for kind of, you know, kind of really putting, putting, you know, some of these things on the table and saying, hey, I think if we did this, we could we could do it really quickly and see if there's any uh, performance issues. And if not, we could just roll it out. Like you know, this is a low cost thing. So a, a lot of times, like these things come up. Um, you know, these types of small, I, I guess, uh, improvements come directly from engineers. And you know, um, you know, we work you know really closely with design and um, product managers to kind of say, yeah, this might not be a huge thing, but let's test it, right? Because we're all about, you know, A-B testing. If it fails, it fails, right? We'll find that there's a performance issue. But in this case, um, there were there were no issues. So, uh, you know, that's that's how we got that rolled out. Well, it's interesting you mentioned A-B testing because I think about that, that a lot. You must have a lot of data to work with. But I want to say also mm -hmm. that you mentioned uh, team members there. And one of the things I actually really like about your team is that um, folks are able to not claim credit, but, you know, say I worked on that thing. Like, I think um, there was a feature added last year to change uh, brightness directly in the app to, to yeah. the screen. Yeah. From, I, think, I think, oh, yeah, Carolyn Nitz worked on that, and she's great. She's actually yeah. done the show, show previously. So it's nice that folks can feel, yeah, I worked on that thing. It's really now being used by 50 million, however many iOS users you have. But A-B testing is interesting because you must have a lot of data. I mean, a lot of data to work with, not only mm -hmm. about your shows, but, you know, which thumbnails work for you and similar. And yeah. How how much is that kind of driving your plans to develop new features versus actually team member B thinks actually this would be a great feature? So is it more kind of gut instinct or is it uh, AB driven? 
Uh, certainly both. I, I would say both because, you know, sh you might have a gut feeling about something. Um, and to validate it, you would do the A-B test, right? Uh, oftentimes, uh, these A-B tests will fail and we'll, we'll learn a lot from it. So this is another, another thing with the culture where it's like, yeah, making mistakes, failing, it's part of it. And yeah, it might be, uh, you know, my gut says, hey, this is going to this is gonna be a great feature. It turns out that at the end of the day, no one's using it, right? And so then, then you you've kind of learned something there that maybe maybe you know there's something that um, you know whether in the design or the engineering that that wasn't quite right, and you know you could run it again. You could you could make tweaks and and try it again and run run the AB test again. And um, you know when you when you get a positive signal, then it's like okay, great. You know we can roll this out. So yeah, uh, you know ideas come from. You know, everyone, uh, you know, engineers, designers, product managers, it's not just the product managers, because typically, you know, people think of product managers as the keeper of the ideas, <laughs> right? And they're the ones kind of driving all of these features. That's not necessarily the case. Uh, lots of team members have kind of pitched their own ideas and worked very closely with um, designers to flesh them out and, yeah, A-B test them. And, you know, a lot of times they, you know, we're surprised they come back as, you know, hey, there, there's a, you know, um, a positive uh, benefit for, you know, Netflix members using it. So that that's, you know, how we vet things out. And it's never like, no, we don't want to do this. But it's more of, you know, hey, let's try it. Yeah. And see what we learn from it. There's a, a, a good question, but I'm not really fair to pitch it to you because it's extraordinarily um, complicated. Uh, I'll, I'll uh -huh. at least a bigger point here, which is uh, Deep, Deepal asking, um, how does Netflix download the thumbnail so fast while streaming? Is there some magic metal rendering or hardware decoding? And I, that's, I realize it's quite <laughs> a specific question, so I don't want to necessarily answer that here. But it's things like, you know, I, I live in the UK, so I use BBC iPlayer a lot here in the UK. And I press play and it's sort of thinking and thinking and thinking, and then it kind of plays. And yeah. Netflix... I press play and it, it's playing straight away. It's like there's 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 a lot of yeah. secret sauce presumably in your team and similar to make this kind of thing extremely efficient from play to it is playing. And I wonder whether yeah. whether the public, like your actual app users, feel that if they like the app, or do they go no one star? You have not got my favorite show or one star. I didn't like the ending to some TV show. Like, well, that's not really what. <laughs> that's not our fault. You didn't like the TV show. Come on. <laughs> uh, do they do they respond to you like that, or are you battling users saying no? I didn't like this TV show or something similar. Yeah, if you if you look at our app store reviews, a lot of it is about the content. <laughs> it's like yeah. one star, and you don't have the show. The office is not on anymore. <laughs> so. Um, I, I'd rather get that type of one star review than one star review. Your app is crashing, right? <laughs> right, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's in our control. <laughs> um, so certainly, there there's a lot that we do. Like we want to make it as seamless as possible for Netflix members to play back from anywhere, whatever conditions um, they're you know they're on. Whether it's like you know, hey, I'm you know going through you know in in, in the subway or something like that, right? Um, not not very reliable connections to yeah I'm on 5G <laughs> I don't know how many people have 5G now but um, you know there's a lot of backend infrastructure uh, that kind of is at play here so it's not necessarily um, you know completely on the client itself Al although we do integrate heavily with a lot of our um, kind of backend infrastructure to make it you know uh, so quick. 
Um, if you go to the Netflix tech blog, there's going to be tons and tons of articles that you can learn about. Um, you know, especially if you look for look up like Open Connect. That's that's you know our backbone essentially. Um, it's our CDNs. Uh, so so it is um, you know a combination of a lot of things to make it kind of run this smoothly. And you know, I you know the goal really isn't for people to notice how quickly it is, right? <laughs> you know, if they don't notice it, perfect, right? It's working. Yeah. Um, but if people are are kind of recognizing that oh, wow, you know, this other service isn't as quick, then at least we know we've done our, you know, kind of our, our job to make it as seamless as possible. Yeah, certainly, like I said, when I switch somewhere else, I'm like, oh, I remember this sort of little activity indicator streaming buffering yeah. kind of thing. Or when you go somewhere where there is no rewind, you know, 15 seconds button, you're like, why, oh, yeah. why is there no, like, <laughs> even, even today, I think QuickTime playing videos doesn't have a, a rewind 15 second button. Rewind. Like, I'm, I'm just tuned to have that button in place for things I missed out on ever. It's frustrating yeah. when it's not there, which is great because you're kind of setting the standard for the UI of video in some respect. People use it so much now is the de facto thing to mm -hmm. kind of copy. Well, you are the yardstick basically for what makes good mo mobile mm -hmm. UI, which is a great place to be, presumably. Yeah. So, uh, Obviously, the landscape is changing constantly. Uh, you know, you, you've every year you've got iOS 13, 14, presumably 15, a few months yes. coming out. You've got uh, Swift updates three times a yeah. year. You've got new devices yeah. two or three times a year. Yeah. Um, and presumably you've got your own massive backlog of stuff to work on, actually commercially important stuff you want to try and work on, not updating for iOS versions. How do you help your team keep up with this stuff? How do you give them days or something similar or what yeah we we certainly you know um trying to make sure that we're organizing all of these things right like there there is a product roadmap that has all the product features on it and so people can look at this roadmap and look at the priorities and say oh this is what's important um you know to the product and and then they can pitch ideas and put it on that roadmap. So it's not like, hey, things are coming left and right. It's like there's there's something that people can can look at. And there's also a technical one, right? And that's with all the stuff like you talk about with with you know new features for Swift, mm. um, you know, on the roadmap that you know uh, that we're looking at is, you know, how might we integrate with Combine, right? And use more of that in our code base. So. Like as these new features come in, we try to fit it on the roadmap to see what the priority is. Like if it's going to unlock, um, you know, new product features, or it's going to unlock efficiencies in terms of like building UIs, then yeah, we want to prioritize that for sure. Like if it's something you know that is going to make us you know build um, you know the the video you know the you know playback inline a lot quicker, then we want to probably uh, put that project uh, up front and so people can work on that up front but we also have hack days which are not on a roadmap those are just complete hack days that you can do whatever you want and um and some of them have turned into real features like you know that the hack will be really um you know popular people respond to it well and there might be a product manager somewhere who's like, hey, I actually want to A-B test that now, <laughs> right? Yeah, great. And pull it in, yeah. So so those, those you know, the hack days have been great for just kind of, you know, building demos and things like that where, um, you know, you get to show off something that maybe is not, doesn't seem, you know, like a thing that we, 
would productize uh, or, or roll out um, at first, but when people play with it, that's that, that's the biggest thing, right? Or they see it in action. That's when you know they get interested. Yeah, absolutely. There's a slightly thorny question here from Christopher Clicks, which I'll, I'll run past you, but I understand if you're like, okay. not going near that with a, a barge pole kind of thing. <laughs> um, Christopher Clicks asks, what drove the choice to implement autoplay after the trailer played when viewing a movie detail view? Because there's a lot there's a lot of like autoplaying stuff now, by default at least, in the Netflix app. And I think I turned mine off because it was like, there's I can't sensory overload a little bit. It's yeah. too much information. Um, was there a, a, a A-B test presumably behind this? He thought actually people do like this and it's a good rollout or similar? Uh, yeah, we did A-B test it. Um, and we also uh, A-B tested uh, the ability to turn it off. So there is the ability <laughs> to turn it off if you really dislike it. So, you know, we want to put put that, you know, out there that, hey, that's still, you know, in your control if you want to kind of turn it off. Um, but when we did A-B test it, we surprisingly did find that people found value, right? Like we we do things where people find that there's value, um, you know, and they, they feel like, hey, this is actually meaningful to them discovering, uh, you know, content. So for specifically for mobile, I can I can only speak to mobile like TV, I'm sure it's a different experience and probably different expectations. But on mobile, for example, the expectation is, yeah, it should be muted. Like at minimum, we're not going to go blasting you know, something yeah. in the details page. So, so we did have like different things that we're trying to ensure that um, you know that people um, you know based on the expectations of maybe even using other apps. Uh, but like if you look at the details page now, when you do open it up, um, it will start you know auto-playing a trailer, a teaser, it does a better job overall, if you think about it, to kind of let people know what the show or movie is about versus just the synopsis itself. So some people might be like, hey, I only want, want to read the synopsis, which is fine. Um, but then for other people, they don't want to read the synopsis, right? And right. we find that there are those people out there who would rather uh, watch this you know, 30 second clip or trailer. Yes, and now I'm thinking, you know, what is the, in that particular case, what would the definition of value be? Is it they're discovering new shows to watch? Or is it simply, well, we've got this metric, which is how much time per day they spend on Netflix. And that's the kind of okay. main metric. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I won't get too much into the metrics because there's, you know, certainly Fair. like we, yep. we measure a lot of stuff. But for sure, like, you know, if you think of the, the main thing, um, the top, the most top level thing that you can think of is like, do people subscribe the next month? I mean, that's the easiest thing right. to measure, right? And, and we, we call it retention. And so, like, if someone's subscribing the next month, it's like, oh, we probably gave them value, right? Like, they, they feel like they're whatever they're spending, like $10 a month, $12 a month, whatever it is. They feel like they got, you know, um, something out of it. If they're not finding value, they're not getting that, you know, the bang for the buck, then yeah, they're not going to subscribe. And so the goal really is to give people that value and not to say drive them to watch 80 hours of Netflix a week. I mean, that whoever's doing that is getting tons of value already. That's, that's what, we're not concerned about that. They're, they're fine. We're more concerned with the people who are like barely using it. And they're like, why are you giving us all this money? You're barely using it. And you're probably going to, you know, cancel anyway. So we want to make sure that people who are, you know, paying us are actually finding that, hey, it's valuable. So... You know, that's 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 essentially what a lot of these A/B tests do. I 
we're not going to go into this for obvious reasons, but I can just imagine in my head somewhere there's a metric saying, this user uses 240 hours of Netflix per day. <laughs> <laughs> Suspicious. <Yeah. laughs> anyway, yeah. moving swiftly on. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, the question here from uh, Mark Kramer. Uh, what is your approach to decide uh, how to stop supporting old iOS versions? Is it just pure mm. count or performance perhaps or something else? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of... Um, you know, things that go, come into play. Certainly, we, we're we pretty aggressive, I have to say, on our team. We will cut off, um, you know, after the the last second last version. So we now support iOS 13 and 14. So iOS 12, right. we, we, we decide to let that go. Although that one was a difficult one because um, Apple decided to not you know, allow quite a few devices to upgrade to 13 mm. from 12. So we did have to leave behind, you know, quite a few devices, which, you know, is always a, you know, um, you know, a bummer for us. But we, what we do is we do look at like usage. We'll make sure that, hey, we're not leaving behind like, you know, tons and tons of people. If there are like a lot of people still using it, we're not going to, we're not going to just go to prematurely, you know, sunset it. Um, but if it's like, oh, you know, people who are, you know, going to, you know, a very small percentage of people are still going to be on there. I think it's a reasonable cost, um, you know, for, for us to be able to say, hey, there are new features in 13 that we can take advantage of and make the experience even better. So, you know, maybe it's Swift UI. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just you, you know, giving that as an example. Um, so so we have to weigh these things and balance them out. Like, you know, if, if we're leaving behind these people, are we getting more out of it? And if not, then let's not, you know, um, maybe move forward, but then also there's a cost to supporting all of these legacy versions, um, especially in terms of testing and validation. Mm. So we do have a, a test lab. It's a pretty cool lab. Uh, there are thousands of these devices running in the lab. So the more iOS versions you have, the more devices you got to throw in the lab and the longer tests take, right? So say we have an automated test suite that is running through and I don't know, validating playback or something. Now you have to validate on three iOS versions or four. And then how about the variations of uh, devices too, right? So it, it starts to kind of balloon. And so so that's another cost that we have to, you know, kind of take into account. Well, not only that, but you also have many, many localizations, presumably around the world, because you've got a mm -hmm. gigantic worldwide audience now. So the yes. number of possible variables is just vast, I'd expect. Yeah. Yeah, and, and testing, uh, you know, new experiences every time we do an A-B test, we will have to go and, you know, kind of go through all our languages. Now it's like 27 plus languages, I think, <laughs> trying to make sure that they all look like they're rendering properly. Um, so we do have a lot of automation around that. We have a lot of like screenshotting, things like that, that kind of help us. But it's still, you know, we do still need translators and, and very specialized localization folks to be able to tell us whether this even makes sense within yeah. the context of the UI. Mm. And the last question I have for you is a, a, a usual one, perhaps. For many people, Netflix is streaming, right? But, you know, increasingly yeah. you have some major competitors now, not only Apple TV uh -huh. Plus, you have uh, Amazon Prime Video, and now Disney Plus as well. Yeah. They've grown extremely big through some very heavy discounting. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can talk about this or not, but how, how often do you kind of just look over the fence a little bit and try out their apps and think, oh, we should, we should look at that idea. It's a great idea here. Or is that more sort of frowned on maybe? 
Uh, certainly, you know, not frowned upon, you know, I think it's always healthy to kind of explore what's out there. And, um, you know, I personally have like too many of these <laughs> videos, streaming services that I subscribe to. I mean, I, you know, there, the thing is like, the video space is so interesting because it's not like, um, you know, winner takes all type of situation. Like everyone has unique content, right? If you think about like, um, you know, Apple TV plus, they have some great shows on there. Same with prime, same with Disney plus. And, you know, even if it's not to look at the UI, it's like there to, you know, consume the content. I think it's, it's really healthy competition to kind of have that. And, you know, there are people with always with multiple services. So it's, you know, slightly different than, you know, uh, if, if there were, you know, um, services that were just, you know, kind of, kind of showing similar content all the time, then yeah, there might be, you know, kind of uh, a little bit of a, a different, I guess, uh, business uh, goal there, right? Um, versus in this case, it's it's like, okay, this is, you know, content plus, you know, what, what people are doing in the UI. And it's great also to see sometimes like, like this thing that you built in the Netflix UI, you're like, hey, this other app also is doing something similar. Mm. <laughs> it's almost like a little bit of, uh, you know, the, the copying um, that that is a bit of flattery there. So we, we do, you know, enjoy kind of looking at, um, you know, different UIs for kind of similarities, differences. Uh, certainly, I'm 100% sure that they're doing the same <laughs> and, you know, looking at uh, Netflix to see what, what kind of, uh, you know, kind of innovations that we're putting in our app. Fantastic. Well, Jordana, thank you so much for your time. And for folks who came along to ask questions, thank you for being here. It's been great having you all here. Um, where can folks find you on the internet? Um, I'm most easily reached on uh, Twitter. So if you follow me um, at, uh, I can, I'll spell it out, J-O-R-D-E-E. W O K. Um, uh, you can also reach me on LinkedIn if you want. If you just search for my name, um, but certainly those are probably the two main places that I will, uh, you know, be able to respond to you. It's interesting. I've got this bizarre quirk that I'm sure I'm not alone with, but I, I remember folks by their Twitter handle. So like Antoine yeah. Vandelay is Twannel. and I think of you as Geordie <laughs> Ewok in my head. That's what I see. <laughs> That's a Star Wars reference in what's in my head. Is, it, is that exactly what? that? It is <laughs> okay. Yeah. It, it, you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Ewok is what exactly <laughs> I was thinking of. Uh, and again, thank you to Revenue Cat for sponsoring the show. Uh, if you could spend, of course, weeks or months doing in-app purchases, please don't. It's very horrible, particularly subscriptions. Uh, unless, of course, you have Netflix and have your own massive subs back end. But trust me, I've been there. It's very, very hard. They make it easy. They make it hours of work instead. So check them out at revenuecat.com. And if you like the show, folks, subscribe or hit like or leave a comment. It's all very welcome. Once again, folks, thanks for being here. I'll see you next time. Take care.